This morning's scripture reading comes from 1 John 4, verses 1 through 4. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus Christ is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and is even now already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. This is the word of the Lord for us. Well, welcome, everybody. It is so good to be together. Um, just so grateful that you guys are here with us this morning. If you're joining us online, I just want to welcome you as well. Uh, thank you for spending part of your weekend with us uh, this morning. We've been in a series um, in First John. And so if you have your Bibles with you, I would encourage you to open it up to First John uh, chapter 4. Uh, we've been walking slowly through the book of First John or the epistle of 1 John, um, and just really been sort of seeing uh, sort of a pattern emerge. Um, last week, we talked about love. The week before that, we talked about truth. And then week one, we talked about uh, Jesus is the light of the world. And, uh, and the thing that I really notice um, about this epistle, and we talked about it just a couple weeks ago, is this like cyclical way that John sort of... Um, organizes this book. We talk about truth. We talk about love and we talk them, talk about them a lot. Um, they come up frequently. Uh, two weeks ago, for example, we talked about truth last week. We talked about love this week. We're talking about truth again. Uh, so we're just really digging into, uh, really the same ideas over and over. And you sort of see this emphasis that John has, uh, for these series of house churches that he's writing to, um, there's just really this strong emphasis on truth and love and life. And uh, so we've been walking through this together um, very slowly. Uh, and, you know, I just want to say um, uh, I miss Pastor John. <laughs> I, I realize uh, the challenge that lead pastors have now of preaching week after week after week. It, um, it is amazing the, the, the faith and the strength that, uh, that Pastor John has and just... Please continue to just pray for him uh, as his back hurts. Um, so I was wondering um, just a couple weeks ago if uh, used car salesmen hate selling cars to mechanics. Like, I just think of all people as a used car salesman that I would want to sell a car to, the last person it would be would be a mechanic. Uh, we needed a car a couple of years ago, and so I took my friend, who is a mechanic, with me to buy that car. And actually watching him inspect that car, it made me nervous to think back to the first time I bought a car on my own. Like, I basically kicked the tires, took it on a test drove, and then made the purchase. Well, that was not the case with the friend that I took that was a mechanic, he whipped out his flashlight, started moving panels, started looking everywhere, opening every door, every compartment, every bit of that car he inspected. And I was like, man, I, that's the way you're supposed to buy a car? Because that is not the way I did. And it was funny, as the, as the used car salesman told us, as we were sort of looking over that car, um, there are, there's no problems with the car. And it was, kind of a, it was kind of a shady used car lot, like some of you have been to those. 
Um, and it was funny when he said, uh, there's, there's no problems with this car. I thought as I watched my friend basically lift the engine out with his bare hands, we'll let you know if there's any problems with this car. Like, we'll, we'll inspect it and let you know. And we actually came uh, with a laundry list of things that uh, we felt like were wrong with the car and things that we found, like we didn't make anything up, and demanded a lower price than what he was asking. And uh, we, we ended up walking out twice and actually getting in the car and starting to leave. And we were going to leave. And he chased us down both times and said, you know what, I'll give you the car for that price. Which is really satisfying when you kind of go to a used car dealership that is kind of shady uh, to sort of walk away knowing you got a good deal because you inspected it thoroughly um, and got what you were looking for. The thing that I wanted to focus on It didn't seem to matter how much this guy knew about selling cars. Like, he knew people really well. He could sell cars really well. It didn't matter how much this guy knew about selling cars. We were coming with much more knowledge about the car than what he had in his knowledge of selling cars. Today, we are going to be talking about false teachers. And, as, and for us as Christians, um, it's important for us to be able to discern what that looks like. And as we, as we sort of go through life, it's important for us to understand the scriptures, to understand them really, really well, so that when, when false teaching does occur, we're able to discern just like finding a problem with a car at a used car dealership. We know the car really well. And for us as Christians, it is important for us to really understand the scriptures. There was this group of Jews in Berea uh, that um, did this really well. Actually, Paul came uh, to preach to them. And in Acts chapter 17, we find this. It says, Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those of Thessalonica. For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. They heard the message and they examined the scriptures to see if it was true. Just like a used car salesman telling us there's nothing wrong with the car, it's important for us to examine it and make sure that that is true. And in the same way for us, uh, any teaching we hear, any messages we hear, and not just necessarily from the pulpit, uh, it is important for us to line it up with scriptures. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Again, as I mentioned uh, earlier, we are in week five of our series on First John, uh, and it's not a long epistle. Um, it is longer than the other epistles of John, um, but uh, it's not very long, but it's packed with, with information that is just so good about truth and love and life. And today, we'll be taking a, taking a look at testing the spirits, which comes out of First John chapter 4. Verse 1, it says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. 
because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And you may be asking, what does John mean when he says, test the spirits? Basically, he's saying uh, the unseen spiritual influence of a message needs to be evaluated. Basically, he's saying the unseen spiritual influence that guides a message. Or what spirit is influencing this message that's being delivered? Um, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the fact that John wrote this um, epistle as a response to um, some false teaching that existed in his day, um, and which was most likely this philosophy called uh, Gnosticism, which was a mix of uh, Christian, of Jewish, and pagan teaching that was all sort of jammed together into one philosophy. And, and John is writing in response to some of these teachings. Gnosticism is actually really hard to define. Um, because there's nobody here that's like an expert on Gnosticism. Uh, the only writings we actually have from Gnosticism is like um, from people who hated Gnosticism. So it's kind of hard to define. Um, and uh, one of the defining features, though, was this idea that the material world that we're in right now is is inherently evil. Um, and in the beginning... Uh, God's spirit fell from heaven, or wherever they believed that was, and into um, material bodies like ours. So they would believe our, our bodies are made of spirit. And, and, and it's important for their spirits to be released from this material world. Which, if you're thinking, that kind of sounds like what we believe. It kind of does. Because there's... There's a little bit of our faith sort of jammed into that. So these ideas kind of um, come from some of those places. But one of the important features of that is the belief that Jesus never came in the flesh. They don't believe that Jesus came, ever came into the flesh, in the flesh. Because the material world was evil. Like why would, why would the God of the universe spend time in a material world that is broken and evil. So they believe that Jesus only appeared to be in the flesh, but he was actually appearing in the spirit, but it just seemed like he was in the flesh, which is why we get verse 2 of John chapter 4. It said, This is how you recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledges Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You know, I was actually just planning on reading that short passage, but I'm actually going to keep reading. The words won't be on the screen, but just follow along in verse 4. It says, You, dear children, are from God. And have overcome them. Because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world. And the world listens to them. We are from God and whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. 
This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. So this is very important for us. John talks about how false teachers don't say say that Jesus didn't come in the flesh, that he is not Lord. And in fact, if you if you believe that you have the spirit of the Antichrist. Because the spirit of God is the spirit of truth and it testifies to the truth. So this is very important for us as we look at what John is asking of us to test the spirits. Because here it's revealed to us that there really are only two spirits in our world. There is the spirit of, of God, which is truth. And there is the spirit of the Antichrist, which is falsehood. You see, the Spirit of God confesses Jesus as Lord, and the Antichrist does not. And it is important for us to consider every unseen spiritual influence of any message we hear. And again, I'm not just talking about a message from the pulpit, but any message this world has to offer or, or any message that anybody offers us, it is important for us to test the spirits, to see to see which of these two unseen spiritual influences is impacting this message. Because it's important for us to remember that there is one in this world that exists totally opposed to everything that Jesus came to testify to. Jesus came to testify to the truth, but there is one that exists that is totally opposed to truth. So there's the spirit of God, which is truth, and the spirit of the Antichrist, which is falsehood. And in John, the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 44, it talks about um, the, our spiritual enemy that we have, which is the devil, which is Satan, which is the adversary. It says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Of lies. So Jesus came to testify to the truth, and Satan is the father of lies. Now here's the thing. Our spiritual enemy is very smart. He's very sly. He's not going to give us a message that is so obviously false that we that we look at it and we're like, well, that's just dumb. That, like, that's obviously not true. Like, the enemy is the adversary and he is the counterfeiter. Sometimes things look true, they feel true, but they really aren't. It's something I'd like to call true-ish. Like, Satan would never tell us a lie that's so obviously not true that we just look around and we're like, what? Like, that's obviously wrong. But instead, it, he just wants to take us off just a little bit. Because as we travel throughout life, we'll get to a point where we're so far away from the truth. If we can just get off just a little bit. He even does this when he's tempting Jesus in the wilderness. He actually uses scripture to tempt him. Just just it's true-ish. Uh, the best way to illustrate this, for example, is um, in youth group, 
we like to play this game called uh, Mafia or the Resistance. Um, and basically, the way the game is played, uh, there is uh, a big group of people known as the townspeople, and then there's a really small group known as the Mafia or the spies. And basically, nobody knows who the, who the, the Mafia is, and the entire game, the town is trying to figure out who the mafia is by arguing with each other. And every night the, the mafia takes somebody out. Um, and every morning the, the townspeople take somebody out. And, and, and the townspeople objective is to try and find uh, the mafia or the spies and, and get rid of them. To take them out of the game. And the, the spy or the mafia's job is to try and find all of the... Well, they kind of know all, all the townspeople, but to eliminate all of them before they're caught. And I have found the best strategy, if you are a mafia, and I'm probably never going to be able to play this game ever again because I just revealed totally my strategy, um, is to, in the beginning of the game, if you can just get, if you're the mafia or a spy, if you can just get the attention off of you just a little bit in the beginning of the game, by the end of the game, everybody is totally lost and they're eliminating people that aren't spies, and it just totally works in your favor. So, so my strategy in every game is to just get everybody just a little bit off, then by the end of the game, everybody's confused. That actually happened to me one time when I was a, when I was a townsperson, when I was one of the good guys. And, and the player that was sort of doing this had me so mixed up by the end of the game that I, I would have died for this person. I would have died for them. And, and, and the end of the game, they were just trying to, to rub it in my face. That's all it was. Like they, they all knew, and they were just... I was so lost, and I, it changed me. Like It actually changed me. Like I don't trust people like I used to. But that's sort of the strategy here. It's, like, it's, it's true-ish, and if we, can just, if we can just steer them off the path of truth, we might be able to... to put a message of falsehood in there, and confuse us. This is really sort of the strategy. If it, and it, it can look good, it can feel good, and it can feel like truth, but it's not really. And that is why it is so important for us as the church to understand the scriptures really, really well. To be able to pick out when false teaching happens. To really test, like John is saying, the unseen spiritual influence of a message by looking at the scriptures. So how do we do that? How do we test the spirits? What should, what should, I, what should I be doing to make sure that I'm not falling victim to this sort of thing? Well, today I want to talk to you about three, three things, three areas to test the spirits in. And the first being the message. To illustrate this well, has anybody ever watched an infomercial? Uh, infomercials really make me laugh. Like they're always, there's always some problem in an inf infomercial that causes so much stress. To the consumer, some problem that they're sort of putting out there that's so hard to overcome, 
that you need their product in order to fix it. And I, I promise you, I will not judge you if you've ever ordered something from an infomercial. Because the truth is, every now and then, it gets a little cold in your house, and, and you need something with sleeves, like maybe a Snuggie. Like maybe you need a Snuggie. Like you need, you need something, because here's the thing, like sometimes when you're blanketed up, it's so hard to like use your phone and like be warm at the same time. Like I got to take my arms out of the blanket. So, so you need something from an infomercial to sort of help fix that. Like I, I just, I won't judge you if you've ever purchased something from an infomercial. And, and be honest, like all of you have one of these in your house. Like it's just sort of inevitable. The thing, I was actually a little bit offended by Microsoft Word as I was typing this message. It didn't have Snuggy in the dictionary. And I was like, what is going on? But the point of an infomercial is to present this problem that is sort of so big and so hard, and, and their product will solve all of your problems. Like, life will just be so much better if you have the product that we're selling. The problem here is that sometimes we have an infomercial view or a snuggy view of following Jesus. There is a mentality in the faith community that if we, if we just have enough faith or we, we just have enough of faith in God and we put all of that into him, all of our problems will just go away. Like all of your problems and you'll be, you'll be blessed with health. You'll be blessed with wealth. You'll be blessed with all of these things if you just follow God because he loves his children and he loves to bless them abundantly. That sounds good. It feels good. But what happens? Like this is a really dangerous message in our community. Like if, if you if you just believe that God will bless you abundantly with specific things like health or wealth, um, at some point you might not have those things. And all of a sudden you start to doubt whether or not you're following Christ because you don't have the things that, that you believe that he was going to bless you with. I mean, it's, it, it sounds good. It feels good. It's true-ish. Like, yes, God will bless us if we put our faith and trust in the, in the risen Savior of Jesus Christ. But he may not bless us the way we expect it. Like, consider the Apostle Paul. In Philippians, Paul writes in chapter 4, verse 10, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you have had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. <clears throat> I know that it is to be, um, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things 
through him who gives me strength. This passage is not about getting supernatural strength to win a basketball game or to lift more weights. This passage is about learning what it is in any circumstance, whether we have need or want, to be able to put our trust in the name of Jesus. Like, we cannot have a snuggy view of following Jesus. You can tweet that if you want. Like, the thing is, Paul, if you consider his life, lived a very difficult life. And was martyred for his faith. He was beaten near death. He was in jail many times. And at the end of his life, he was martyred. You see, Paul didn't buy into this message of, if I just follow Jesus, life will be easy. Like, that's not, that's not completely true. But not, not just this specific message, but every message that you hear, line it up to Scripture and you'll find something. So consider the message that you're hearing and test the spirits. Is, is this the spirit of truth? Is this the spirit of God? Or is this a spirit of falsehood? Number two in considering the spirits to test, test the messenger. A few years ago, um, I was just really bummed where we were at as, as like the church, like the global church. Like there were prominent pastors and authors of books that I read of people who I respected and I recommended their books to my friends and co-workers. <clears throat> but as I, as I studied more like, and, and more things came out about these guys, and they just had these huge moral failures. I'm talking many sexual misconduct allegations. I'm talking about abusive strategies for their church. Things that that really don't line up with scriptures. And I and I wrestled through that time of like, what do I do? What do I do with all the notes that I have from these guys that I respected? What do I do with all the things that I all the books that I have that were written by them? Because if I if I measure their life, if I test their spirit, I would find that it was really a spirit of falsehood. In 1 Peter 5, it says, Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Like, I came... To this point where I was just really disappointed. Because as I looked at the spirit of the, of the men that were sort of in this place, I just found that they were just not in a good place. So I, I wondered, what do I do with all of their teaching? I kind of landed on this sort of mixed bag of stuff. Like if they, if they fell from their pastoral duties or, or their position because of adultery then it's probably a bad idea for me to recommend books that they read or wrote about marriage. But even if you're not, even if we're not talking about pastors and leaders that fell from grace, it is important 
to measure their words, the words of this messenger, according to the scriptures. Even the Berean Jews, as we read earlier, did that same thing for Paul. They measured his words according to the scripture to make sure what he said was true. And Paul was trained in the law. Like he knew it better than everybody. He even called himself a Jew of Jews. But still, his words were tested. And the last one, number three, the message receiver. There was a time late in my teen years... And church, I'm going to need a little bit of grace on this one. Where I was a little bit of a Pharisee. There was a point that I got to that was so bad that I basically thought that me and like a handful of other, uh, other people I respected were going to go to heaven. Like I was just in a really bad place of being Pharisaic in everything I did. When I sat and listened to message messages from speakers. I wasn't listening for, um, for how I could apply something to me or, or what, what, is, what is this teaching me. It was, I'm going to make sure that what you have to say isn't false. And it, not in the sense of this where it was testing the spirits for the edification of the church. But how can I appear more smart? How can I, how can I like really rain on the words that you have to say? It was for my own egotistical view of righteousness. And there's something in me that wanted to be right. More than I cared about the gospel being spread. And I should have, at that point, tested my own spirit and the mindset that I had. Am I having a spirit of truth or a falsehood? If I would have, maybe I would have, maybe I would have stumbled on these words of Paul much earlier in Philippians. It says, it is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in change. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Church, we cannot have a Pharisaic mind about false teaching while we, while we should be testing the message. That's important. Line it up with scripture. Test The messenger, make sure that their life is leading a life that is worthy of the call of being of of the gospel, but also test your own spirit. Sometimes you hear messages that are really hard to accept or really difficult to understand, and we don't want them to be true. But if Satan can just take us off just a little bit and say, you know what, that message isn't true over a lifetime, we may be very, very far from God. For me, I needed to understand that Christ died for my sins. And he asked me to be someone to tell others about this news. Instead of being um, a doer of the word, I was somebody who just wanted to sit and get fat off of it. 
So I'm going to ask you, where are you? Maybe for you, there is a message that is difficult for you to hear. And you just want to chalk it up as, that's wrong, that's not true, it can't be. But it lines up with scripture, the messenger is good and reliable. Perhaps you need to test your own spirit. If it's coming from this trustworthy place and scripture is telling you it's true, perhaps there's something in your life that you need to change. But maybe for you it's something different. And I would like you to consider evaluating your life this week. How well do you know God's word? Could you pick out a false teacher if you saw it based on how well you understand scripture? Dig deep into that. Or maybe for you, you've been following some teachings that are very questionable. But, but your mindset is, well, well, they have a good heart about it. Like, it seems true. It feels good. Like, it's okay. Like, maybe you need to line that up with the Word of God. Or maybe for you, you're in a place of being a Pharisee like I was. of doubting, of questioning, and, and, and doing it in a way, again, not for the edification of the church, but for your own sort of gain and influence and power in this world. I would just like to humbly ask all of you to just check your hearts this week. Test the spirits according to Scripture. And let's... Let's walk in truth. You know, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. Are you being led by a spirit of falsehood or of truth? And I just want to let you know, our prayer team is going to be up here after the service here. And I would just encourage you to pray with them if that's something that you need to do. Of Maybe being prayed for because... You've been in a bad place personally. Your spirit has been off. Test those things this week according to scripture. So Father, today, we proclaim your name, the name of Jesus. The spirit of truth, Father, your word says that you are the truth. And Father, we we look to you because we know the truth will set us free. Your son, Jesus, will forgive us for our sins. So, Father, we look to him as the source of our hope, the source of our strength. Father, we put all things aside and we look to you. Father, thank you for your son and we pray this all in his name. Amen.